morning, everyone. I hope you can hear me. It's really weird when everyone else is muted and you're on mute because you can't hear anything. Um, it's quite unnerving, really. But I hope you can hear me. And welcome to our uh, Heathervale online service from all over the country and maybe further afield. Um, just before we get into the service proper, just a couple of quick notices. And the first one is from Nigel, who apparently, let me just stop this screen and we'll put the other one on. That's better, isn't it? Um, yeah, Nigel has a meeting. Apparently there's some meeting going on on Tuesday. Um, don't know what really that's about, but he wants to make a notice about it. Over to you, Nigel. Thanks, Mark. Hopefully you can see me. I, I've got the wrong shirt choice here. I'm merging into the background a little bit, um, but hopefully you can see me all right. This is a message for all church members, a reminder about the special church meeting taking place on Tuesday uh, with registration starting at 7.30 uh, and then the meeting commencing at 8. Um, thank you to all those that joined us on our trial uh, run through last Monday. Hopefully you found that uh, useful and helpful. Um, and yeah, we hope the technology works okay for Tuesday. Um, just uh, a couple of things, just to say that um, we have changed one thing. You will be placed into a waiting room at the start of the meeting, and then you will be placed into uh, breakout rooms for registration. So that's just a, a minor change. That will enable people to get back into the meeting if, they should, uh, if their line should fail, or uh, for, uh, for some reason they've dropped uh, the connection. Um, the other thing also is to make sure you bring your own device to vote on. And that means that um, you, don't, you can share a laptop for the actual Zoom session, but when it comes to the vote, you will need to use your own digital device, whether it's a laptop, smartphone, tablet, iPad, whatever. Um, so that's the, the only thing. For those that, that can't vote, don't worry. We will be registering you as a ballot vote and we'll be sending out ballot papers directly after the meeting to allow you to vote. All ballot papers need to be returned by the following Monday at the latest. Um, so that's just a reminder about that. I don't think there's anything else. You would have got uh, a note through this week uh, about one or two other things and also the uh, note that went out the previous week as well. It's got some helpful instructions for those that weren't there last Monday. But uh, looking forward to seeing you on Tuesday. That's all. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Nigel. Um, I haven't been given many or any other notices. Uh, I hope you all uh, got the weekly newsletter because there are some notices in there as well. The only other thing that I was going to say is that um, one of our friends, um, someone called Katie Page, who's been joining us for our Sunday morning meeting since we've been on Zoom and, and is also attending Alpha. Unfortunately, her stepfather died last night. So our thoughts and our prayers are with Katie. Um, she can't be with us this morning for obvious reasons. Um, but uh, I'd just like to ask that you remember Katie and her extended family in, in your prayers. Um, so now let's, let's move to a time of worship. And, and as we do so, I'll just open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you and we want to worship you. We come before you now. Uh, please accept our praise and our worship as a token of our love towards you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, Sam and, and Sarah are going to be leading us in, in worship in this next session. And Sam's actually going to bring us a new song, which I'm really excited about. So uh, let's worship God. It's life to be a ransom for many. 
about to introduce a song called Solar Light. The words are going to be on the bottom of the screen and as you start to feel comfortable with the tune, please feel free to sing along. of reference you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light and as you speak a hundred billion galaxies are born Speak. 
Sam and, and Sarah. Sam, I love that song. It's amazing. Gets me emotional. Um, and now I have the pleasure of introducing myself for the All Age Talk. Um, so let's go. Hello everyone, it's great to be back with the next bite-sized episode in the life of Peter. Today we're going to look at a few more instances in Peter's life to see how he learned from his experiences of living with Jesus. Just before he was crucified, Jesus was having dinner with his disciples. Now, I've used the word disciple quite a lot over the last few weeks, so I thought it might be useful to explain what it really meant. The word disciple literally means follower and learner. It's a bit like an apprentice today. Jesus was not only their leader but their teacher as well. Anyway, this meal became known as the Last Supper and it was the time when Jesus introduced communion. During the meal, Jesus got up and took off his outer clothing. This was significant because in those days, servants didn't wear outer clothing when they were serving. And Jesus was signifying here that he was a servant. Jesus took a large bowl and filled it with water. He then wrapped a towel around his waist knelt down and started washing the disciples' feet. When Jesus got to Peter, Peter refused to let Jesus wash his feet. He didn't realise what Jesus was teaching them. He thought it would not be right or proper for Jesus, their leader and master, to stoop so low as to wash his feet. That was a job for the lowest servant. 
Again, Peter had forgotten Jesus' teaching. A little while earlier, Jesus had told his disciples that they should always put others first and serve them. He told them that he did not come to be served, but he came to serve. And here was Jesus putting his own words into action. He told Peter that unless he let Jesus wash his feet, he was not a true disciple. This took Peter aback, and again he jumped in wholeheartedly. But again, unfortunately, he missed the point. He asked Jesus to wash his hands and his face and his hair as well. But Jesus said to Peter that that wasn't necessary because he was already clean. You see, in Israel, it was really hot and dusty, and people only wore sandals on their feet. So when they walked around, their feet got dirty. But it was saying here that Peter was already clean because he believed in Jesus. But he still had loads of things to learn. He still had to learn that being a follower of Jesus meant that he had to serve others just like Jesus did. A little while later, when the meal was finished, Jesus and his disciples went into a garden to pray. Jesus prayed for another way to save mankind without him having to be crucified. But if there wasn't another way, he would gladly submit to the will of his father. This was the time when Judas was going to betray Jesus. When Jesus entered the garden, he gave the signal to arrest Jesus by kissing him on the cheek. Peter again jumped in with both feet. He wanted to protect and save Jesus, so he drew his sword and cut off the ear of one of the officials. Demonstration. He reached out his hand and he healed the official's ear. Jesus said that they should love their enemies, not hate them, and that they should do good to them and pray for them. And this is what he was doing here. Unfortunately, Peter was a little bit slow on the uptake. But as we saw last week, he eventually got the message. He healed the lame beggar, even if it meant he was going to prison. Sometimes Hello everyone. It's great to be back. Sorry everyone, a bit of a technical problem there. We're gonna to have to watch it all again from the beginning because I can't fast forward it. It just froze on me. Back. with the next bite-sized episode in the life of Peter. Today, we're going to look at a few more instances in Peter's life to see how he learned from his experiences of living with Jesus. 
Jesus was having dinner with his disciples. Now, I've used the word disciple quite a lot over the last few weeks, so I thought it might be useful to explain what it really meant. The word disciple literally means follower and learner. It's a bit like an apprentice today. Jesus was not only their leader, but their teacher as well. Anyway, now took off his to clothing this was significant serving and jesus was signifying here was jesus took a large bowl and filled it with water he then wrapped a towel around his waist knelt down and started washing the disciples feet when jesus got to peter peter refused to get jesus wash his feet he didn't realize what jesus was teaching them he thought it would not be right or proper for Jesus, their leader and master, to stoop so low that was a job for the lowest servant. Again, Peter had forgotten Jesus' teaching. A little while earlier, Jesus had told his disciples that they should always put others first and serve them. He told them that he did not come to be served, but he came to serve. And here was Jesus putting his own words into action. He told Peter that unless... This took Peter aback, and again, he jumped in wholeheartedly. But again... Unfortunately, he missed the and his face and his hair as well. But Jesus said to Peter that that wasn't necessary because he was already clean. You see, in Israel, it was really hot and dusty and people only wore sandals on their feet. So when they walked around, their feet got dirty. But the rest was okay. It was like Jesus was saying Peter was already clean because he believed in Jesus. But he still had loads of things to learn. He still had to learn that being a follower of Jesus meant that he had to serve others just like Jesus did. A little while later, when the meal was finished, Jesus and his disciples went into a garden to pray. Jesus prayed for another way to save mankind without him having to be crucified. But if there wasn't another way, he would gladly submit to the will of his father. This was the time when Judas was going to betray Jesus. When Jesus entered the garden, he gave the signal to arrest Jesus by kissing him on the cheek. Peter again jumped in with both feet. 
he wanted to protect and save Jesus. So he drew his sword and cut off the ear of one of the officials. But Jesus once again demonstrated his teaching in action. He reached out his hand and he healed the official's ear. Jesus said that they should love their enemies, not hate them, that they should do good to them and pray for them. And this is what he was doing here. Unfortunately, Peter was a little bit slow on the uptake. But as we saw last week, he eventually got the message. He healed the lame beggar, even if it meant he was going to prison. Sometimes, I think we can be a little bit like Peter, a little bit slow to catch on. But God is patient with us, just like Jesus was patient with Peter. He gently guides us back to the right path. And as he does, each time we learn to be a little bit more like him, just as Peter did. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm really sorry about that. A, a bit of a bit of an issue with my computer. I hope hope you didn't uh, mind having to watch most of it twice. Um, we, we're now going to move to a time of prayer and, and just reflecting on on the video there. In these times, there is a lot of need. There is a lot of uh, needy people out there and. I just wonder if it would be good for us to pray together uh, about ways in which we can serve our community. You're asking God to show us how we can serve, how we can love, how we can demonstrate his love at this time. Um, so I propose an open time of prayer. And, and just like we did uh, last time, um, if you want to pray, if you can unmute yourself, pray and then mute yourself again. And obviously if we can... Uh, if you hear someone else praying, don't don't pray over them. Um, we'll only have a short time of prayer, and I'll close it uh, in in a moment when we're finished. Um, so let's let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you came to serve. That your love overflowed so abundantly. Uh, you said that. You didn't come to be served, but you came to serve, and you are an example for us. Show us how we can serve, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Jesus, we just thank you that you show, you show us what true servanthood looks like. You stooped and washed the feet of the very people that you had created, those hands that had formed and fashioned the planets from before the beginning of time, washed the grime and dust from between the toes of, of his friends and disciples. Jesus, this is beyond what we can imagine. And you, the eternal God, the creator of the universe, the one who sustains and holds everything in created order, stoops to wash the feet of, of, of those he created. And Jesus, we just thank you that you have given us an example and a pattern of serving. Jesus, help us to follow in your footsteps, the servant king, 
Help us to offer our lives as, to you each day and to follow in your footsteps as we reach out with love to those in our families, our neighbours, our community with the, with the love of Jesus. Help us and give us wisdom, Lord, to do that in practical ways. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father God, we thank you that you're with us in every area of life. You call us to go, Lord, but we're not able to physically go, but give us a heart, we pray, uh, to be bold with those we meet, to reach out in, through Zoom, through our connections, through the phone. Help us to take the opportunity you give us during this difficult time to bring your, offer your arms and legs and your heart to other people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Father, I just ask that you would show us how to love like you loved. Like you love, you still love today. Show us how to serve as you serve. Show us where the need is and guide us and lead us to that need. I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I hope everything's going right. I'm having a few internet issues this morning um so i've just changed my connection I, it logged me off and logged me back on again so i hope everything's still going all right give me a thumbs up no it's all no no thumbs up ah oh, there we got thumbs up cool um so i'm just going to share my screen again There we go. Um, I now have the pleasure of introducing Isaac to bring us our reading. Hi Mark, can you hear me? We can hear you. 1 Peter 3 verses 1 to 12. Wives, in the same way submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put the hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Suffering for doing good. 
Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Thanks, Isaac. Brilliantly read. Um, so we're now going to come to listen to uh, Martin's message. And, and as he comes, I'm, I'll just pray for him. Father God, I thank you for, for Martin. I thank you for his leadership. Uh, and, and in his leadership, his servant heart. I just pray that you will bless him now as he brings your word to us. I pray that you will inspire him and you will give us ears that hear and act, not only uh, hear and disregard. I pray that your word would really speak to each one of us right through to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Morning, everyone. Give us a wave. <laughs> um, one, of the, uh, one of the advantages of Zoom is when you get to a, a difficult text like this, you've got that little bit of uh, protection. Um, so the tomatoes will only hit the screen as I'm preaching this morning. They won't actually reach me at the front. Um, that's really the reason that we're not meeting this morning in church is because of this text. No, I'm, I'm promise you I'm joking. I promise I'm joking. I'm not. I promise I'm not hiding behind Zoom this morning. Um, but uh, shall we say the two ladies in my life are listening to me very, very closely this morning. I, I'll, I'll just put it like that. So um, stay with me, ladies. I'll, I'll try to do justice uh, to, this, to this passage. So don't switch off. Stay with me. Um, we saw last week how Christians are to live confidently in the world by submitting to govern authority, governing authorities and to their employers in the face of unjust suffering. The principle is clear. If Christians live good lives in the face of unjust suffering, God's name is honoured and some people may just be brought to faith by the witness of Christians who suffer and yet do good in the face of that suffering. And Peter is still in this section all about unjust suffering. Um, he moves to relationships, particularly uh, within marriage, and then he rounds it off in verses 8 to 12 with the principles of, of doing good uh, to those who uh, do evil to you, um, of seeking peace and, and pursuing good. Um, but in verses 1 to 7, um, Peter focuses on helping Christian wives live good lives in their marriages, but the context is important because it's where the husbands are not believers. So th there's a particular context here. Um, and this was because there were many more um, Christian wives married to non-believing husbands than there were the other way around, um, just, just the way it was in that culture. And so Peter specifically addresses uh, how, not, how Christian wives should relate to their non-believing husbands. And of course, being married to an unbeliever for Christian wives in that culture may have resulted in some forms of, of suffering. 
um, it was, as we'll say, it was expected that the wife would uh, follow the, the faith of the husband. And so to not do that as a Christian wife is you're going to be subject to misunderstanding, uh, a clash of values, and possibly some tensions within the marriage relationship. And so we're still on very much on the theme of unjust suffering, but this time uh, within uh, relationships. So Peter begins with Christian wives, um, all about submission in marriage. And uh, verse one, wives in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. Now, before I lose all of my female viewers this morning, uh, please stay with me and allow me, if you would, to explain what the Bible means by submission. Because um, my daughter came, came in to see me the other night and she said, please tell me what submission means in the Bible, because she was concerned that I was going to sort of impose cultural ideas of subjugation and oppression of women on, on the text, which is a really great conversation to have, by the way. Um, but the way the Bible understands submission is not the way our culture might understand uh, the Bible. It's nothing to do with abuse or inequality or subjugation of women by men, um, despite what some, how some people might caricature scripture. So I'm going to take you right back uh, to creation because we need to understand submission and the relationship between men and women from the basis of the creation of, of the world from Genesis chapter one. So before the fall and before sin entered the world, God created human beings in his own image. And he said this in Genesis 1:27, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So built into, cre into creation is the truth that although men and women are different, they are equal in God's eyes. They both reflect something of the image of God. So men and women, in their totality and in their differences, reflect who God is. Um, but although men and women are equal, the Bible teaches that men and women complement one another in their differences. So there's no question in Scripture of men being superior to women or women being inferior to men. Men and women must equally love, respect, honour, serve one another. However, Paul also teaches in Ephesians 5.23 this, that the husband, if we can stick the uh, slide up, the husband is the head of the wife. What, what, does this, what does this mean? Well, Paul here is referring to the ideal of Christian marriage. Um, Christian marriage before the fall, but also he's assuming that both the man and the woman in the, in the relationship have come to Christ and are therefore able to live in this way. And so we need to understand Paul's context is different from Peter's for a start. So Paul is referring here to the ideal of Christian marriage and headship does not mean that the husband is the boss and the wife is the servant. It does not mean that the wife loses her voice and decision makings and decision making is only made by the husband. Nor does, it, nor does it mean that the wife must endure emotional, verbal, or physical abuse. By headship, Paul means that Christian husbands have a role of spiritual leadership in the home. The Christian husband, then, is to encourage, teach, and guide his wife and his children to love, serve, and follow Christ. And how does he do that? He does that by modelling 
Christ-like love and servanthood in the home. Do you remember uh, Mark's helpful video of Jesus washing the feet of, of his disciples? Well, that's a picture for us of how husbands should love and serve their wives and their families. They are to model Christ-like humility, servanthood, and love. They have a role of spiritual leadership to model Jesus to their family so that their family would follow Christ. Now that doesn't sound to me oppressive or anything to do with subjugation of women, does it to you? Yeah, I think there's some reaction there, good. Um, so how can we know that that's what Paul means by headship? Well, just look at the rest of Ephesians 5.23. For the husband is the head of the wife, listen to this, as Christ is the head of the church. Do you see? How does Christ, how is Christ head of the church? Does he oppress the church? Is he abusive of the church? Is he violent towards the church? Is he coercive or controlling towards the church? Of course not. There's no oppression. Jesus' headship of the church is through love and servanthood, through stooping to wash the feet of the very disciples that he created. So Jesus is not domineering, he's not coercive, he's not autocratic. He, ex he exercises leadership through self-sacrificial loving service, illustrated in the washing of the disciples' feet. So husbands, Christian husbands, when you're told to love your wives as Christ has loved the church, that is a massive, massive ask for you, much more than submitting to your husbands. Do you see where we're going with this? It's a huge ask. You lead through following Jesus as the Christian husband. So as Jesus leads the Christian husband, so the Christian husband leads his wife and his children in the servanthood and love and humility of Jesus. Now, Jesus has real authority. He's the son of God, but he uses that authority to teach and to serve and ultimately to die on a cross to pay for our sins, not in a domineering, autocratic, oppressive way, but so that we can flourish and be restored and reconciled to God and enjoy a relationship with God. And so leadership in the way of Jesus is always for the flourishing of humankind. It's so that we can know God and know life in its fullness. That's the servanthood of Jesus Christ. That's how the king serves. He serves for our good, for our flourishing. And as husbands, as Christian husbands, we serve and we lead in the home that our families might flourish. Am I making sense here, folks? Good, good. Stay with me. So when Paul instructs Christian wives to submit to your husband as to the Lord, he means a voluntary cooperation with the spiritual role of the husband as leader in the home. In other words, Christian wives are to encourage and support their Christian husbands in their role as spiritual leaders. In other words, sometimes Christian wives not, might need to remind their Christian husbands that they have a role to model Christ. Now, I'm putting that kindly, of course. If, if, if we're being, as husbands, if we're being unkind or thoughtless or insensitive, it wouldn't be out of place for, for our wives 
to remind us that we are to model Christ to them and to the children. And in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul also refers to Christian husbands being the head or the spiritual leader in the home on the basis that in the creation story, the man was created first and the woman was created out of the man. But this, of course, was the order before the fall. After the fall and Adam and Eve sinned, the relationship between men and women was distorted. Genesis 3.16, this is what it says. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, that's, that's ruling over is a result of the fall. So the danger here that scripture is telling us is that the women's desire for childbearing and for the support and friendship of the marriage relationship may be um, misused by the husband after the fall. He will rule over or some, some husbands will rule over their wives oppressively as a result of the fall. And that's what Jesus came to redeem and to sort out and to heal. He came into the world so that husbands and wives and all people might live together in love. But they can only do that if they submit to Jesus first. We can only love one another as Jesus loves if we submit to the love of Christ. And Paul's teaching in Ephesians 5 about wives submit to your husbands assumes that the husband and the wife have both submitted to Christ and that wives will submit to the spiritual leadership of their husbands and husbands will love their wives in the pattern of Christ. And so Ephesians 5 is what all Christian husbands and wives should aspire towards. Now, when we get to Peter's teaching in 1 Peter 3, Peter's teaching on submission deals with the reality of a more difficult situation where Christian wives are married to unbelieving husbands. Now, you, you must understand that submission in that context will look a little bit different to submission within the context of Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5, Paul is talking about a Christian marriage. In, in 1 Peter 3, Peter is talking about a Christian wife and a non-believing husband, so that submission will look slightly different. However, Peter still teaches that Christian wives are still to submit even to their unbelieving husbands. What does he mean? Well, he does not mean that Christian wives are to give up their faith and just go with the flow, you know, so that if their husband believes in a different God or has no faith at all, he's not saying to the Christian wife, just go with the flow, don't upset the apple cart, go with your husband's lack of faith or faith. He's not saying that. He does not mean that Christian wives are to be doormats and to suffer abuse. However, he does mean um, that, a, that, a, that, a, that a wife should not be domineering or um, overly kind of aggressive or, or imposing of their particular Christian views on the unbelieving husband. They shouldn't be argumentative or forceful about their faith. That's what Peter is meaning by submission, where you've got a Christian wife and a non-believing husband. Um, however, Peter is aware that in some cases in the culture he's writing about, it could be that there would be unjust suffering. 
So for example, there might be a sense of isolation in the marriage or misunderstanding. There may be a clash of priorities and values. And I understand that for some of you in a, in a marriage where one of you is a believer and the other one isn't, there can be that sense of unjust suffering that uh, you do feel misunderstood or lonely or um, there's a clash of values and priorities because one of you believes and one of you doesn't. And that's really what uh, Peter is saying to Christian wives here is don't be overly aggressive or argumentative about your faith in the relationship. So for Peter, the focus is on living in such a way that the character of the wife points the unbelieving husband to Jesus. That's the aim. Um, there's still some acknowledgement that the man has a leadership role. Remember that the ideal is that the husband comes to faith through the witness of the Christian wife, and then he can take up his role of spiritual leadership. So that's the, that's the aim. That's the ideal. So Peter still assumes some sort of leadership role for the unbelieving husband, but it's with a view to him coming to faith. Peter aims for the possible future ideal of Christian wives being able to submit to the spiritual leadership when their husbands become Christians. As Peter puts it in verse 1b, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the, carry on please, next slide, behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Do you see what Peter's doing here? He, he wants the, the character, the beauty, of the holiness of the, the, the life of the believing wife to shine through and to have an influence on, on the husband. Now, this is truly radical teaching um, for the times in which Peter was writing into. Um, he's, this is deeply countercultural because the expectation of the time was that all wives were just submit to the gods that their husband worshipped. Um, so listen to a Greek thinker, Plutarch, from the time. Um, you, you probably need a sharp intake of breath, ladies, for, for this quote, but this is not from the Bible. This is a, a Greek philosopher. Um, stay with me. A woman ought not to make friends of her own, but to enjoy her husband's friends in common with him. The gods are the first and foremost friends. Hence, it is becoming for a wife to worship and to know only the gods that her husband believes in and to shut the door tight upon all strange rituals and outlandish superstitions. Now, strange rituals and outlandish superstitions would definitely be the Christian faith. So can you see that what Peter is doing here is really radical for the culture? He's telling wives to, to um, be witnesses to their unbelieving husbands in a culture that assumed that the wife would just follow the Greek and Roman gods of the time. Now that is deeply countercultural, isn't it? That is radical teaching. But Peter's saying, don't give up on your faith, Christian wives, witness to your husband in your marriage. Um, and so there may be potentially some unjust suffering for the Christian wife. You can imagine that some in that first century Greco-Roman culture who decided to witness for Christ maybe may suffer unjustly in their marriages because the cultural expectation was totally against that. And so Peter says, keep on showing the beauty of Christ, even where you suffer unjustly in your marriage relationship. And in our context, the principles still apply. 
Christian wives in marriages where their husbands don't believe are to focus on living in submission by growing in Christ-like character. Verse three and four says this, your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as braided hair and the wearing of gold, jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet, carry on please, spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, before lots of you counsel your um, lockdown hairdresser appointments, that's, this, please don't misunderstand what Peter is saying here. Peter is not saying you, you shouldn't have nice hairstyles and that you shouldn't have nice clothes and nice jewellery. He's comparing one thing to another, okay? So let's, let's get that straight. Um, he's saying that inner beauty is more important than physical outward appearance. And the reason that inner beauty, Christ-like character, is more important for Christian wives is that that is the means by which um, non-believing husbands can be pointed to Christ and can be drawn to relationship with Jesus. Um, now, again, let's not misunderstand the passage. A gentle and quiet spirit does not mean that all Christian wives should be introverts. Um, all right, that is not what it means. In the Greek does not, is not well translated there. A gentle and quiet spirit means um, non-argumentative and humble. You can be funny, you can be extrovert, you can be talkative, but that you don't have to be argumentative and aggressive about your faith, okay? So extrovert women carry on being extroverts. Introvert women carry on being introverts, okay? What, what a gentle and quiet spirit means is humble and gentle it means non-argumentative about your faith is this is this making sense to people by the way can you nod with me if you're with me okay it doesn't mean that women should put their hand over their mouth in the company of men i've seen i've seen this in church life you know people uh, women put their hand over their mouth as a kind of submission thing that's not what the text means folks it's not what it means let's not misunderstand it what Peter means is he's not saying to women, never speak about your faith. Please don't hear me wrong. He's saying that your character is of foremost importance. If you display Jesus in your marriage, you're more likely to end up with a, a conversation about Jesus. OK, but don't go in there with guns blazing, all argumentative, telling him you must believe or else, you know. I'm, you can tell I'm trying to keep this a little bit humorous because it's pretty heavy, but uh, that's that's it. And Peter goes on to to give an illustration of submission from the life of Sarah. Um, I think this is my my wife's favourite passage. Actually, um, she's never called me master or lord, and it's it's trust me, it's never going to happen. That was only something that women in that particular culture did. All right, we're not looking for people to call us master. That's not appropriate in our culture. But that's what they did back in the time of Abraham, okay? So Peter gives an illustration of submission from the life of Sarah in verse five. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. Carry on, please. They were submissive to their husbands 
like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. So what's Peter, why is Peter using that as an illustration? Well, Sarah, along with Abraham, were called to, to go away from their homeland, where all their friends were, their homeland, and they were to leave there and go to the promised land and start a brand new life. And their descendants were to be a blessing to all the nations on the earth. Now, you can imagine Sarah wasn't that keen to go, to leave home and to go, but she did it um, because she trusted God. And so she followed her husband and followed God's lead, even though it was costly for her. And that's what, that's what Peter is saying. Look, Christian wives, it can be costly and difficult for you to be married to a non-believing husband, but trust the Lord. Don't be fearful of the circumstances you're in. Keep praying, keep witnessing, keep trusting the Lord. Don't be afraid. Okay, so that's a word to you this morning if you're in a, a mixed marriage. Husbands, we're coming to you now, okay? So you're not getting off the hook. The, the understanding husband. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Um, this is just as hard to live out. Um, husbands, in the same way, be considerate. Literally, Peter says, live, live together according to knowledge. In other words, Christian husbands are to live out their knowledge of Christian principles in their marriage. They are to know Christ's pattern for serving and leading in the marriage, which is through servanthood and self-sacrifice. They are to know their wife's desires, goals, strengths and weaknesses, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And a husband who lives according to such knowledge will greatly enrich his marriage relationship. So Christian husbands, your role is to enrich your relationship so that your wife can flourish within the marriage relationship so that she can be all that she can be in terms of her gifting, her natural talents, her skills. You are to encourage and help those to flourish. And you can only do that if you stay close to God in word and prayer and know God's desire for, for her flourishing. Peter also instructs Christian husbands in verse 7b to treat their wives uh, with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, we all know uh, there are some women who, who, who are very physically strong. We know that, okay? Um, but in general, Peter means that women are, tend to be physically the weaker uh, person. He's not talking about emotional or spiritual strength or psychological strength. He's, he's saying that in general, women are physically weaker, not in all cases, but in most, okay? Um, now, this is important because in Peter's day, some men would be brutal and would coerce their, their wives and treat them as chattel through pure brute strength. And Peter is saying, do not use your physical strength to coerce your wives, but instead love your wives as Christ loves the church. Allow your wives to grow and flourish as disciples of Jesus. Peter rounds off by saying, so that nothing hinders your prayers. In other words, there is a relationship between the way that Christian husbands treat their wives and their prayer lives, unsurprisingly. If we are considerate, loving, 
self-sacrificing and, and allowing our wives to flourish, we will have prayers that are unhindered. We will be close to God as we love our wives in the way that Christ loves the church. Um, now, I know that for a number of you, a good marriage has not been your experience. In fact, quite the opposite, quite the opposite. But this beautiful picture that Paul paints, particularly in Ephesians 5, is of the ideal Christian marriage, of how husbands are to love their wives in the pattern and example of Jesus, laying down their lives, self-sacrificing in servanthood, in modelling the example and beauty of Christ. And wives are to cooperate with that role that God has, has, has given their, believe, their believing husbands to lead in the way of Christ. But what I would say is remember that the ideal Christian marriage is only a foretaste, a pale foreshadowing of the relationship that Christ has as the bridegroom with his church, the bride. Now, there will be no marriage in heaven. That's what Jesus teaches us. Um, we will be so close and intimate with, with one another that we will not need the marriage relationship. And marriages in this life foreshadow and are a picture of the beautiful relationship that all Christians will enjoy when Jesus returns, the bridegroom will be reunited with the bride, the church, and we will live in a beautiful relationship with Jesus in a new heaven and a new earth for eternity. So whatever your experience of marriage is in this life, good or bad, it will pale into insignificance in your relationship with Jesus Christ in a perfected heaven and earth. We can all, whether you're single or married, whatever your marital status is, you can all enjoy being united with Christ in this life and finally for eternity in the next. Finally, Peter sums up this whole section in chapter two and three and calls it suffering for doing good uh, to others. Um, we can put the next slide up. But I tell you, Jesus, Jesus really sums this up, doesn't he, in Luke 6. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who ill-treat you. Remember in the garden, um, Jesus healed the ear of the high priest when Peter had cut off his ear. We are not to return evil for evil, but we are to pray for those who persecute us. We are to bless those who curse us. We are to do good to those who do evil to us. We are to not increase evil by returning insult with insult, but we are to return evil and insult with blessing, just as Christ has done. And if we do that, God promises us wonderful blessings. If we pray for our enemies and love all people, including our enemies, God's eyes will be on us to care for our needs. He will have his ears open to hear and answer our prayers. We will enjoy life. God will do us good. And we will enjoy, ultimately, eternity. If we respond in a Christ-like way, even in the face of unjust suffering, God will pour out blessing into our lives. And that promise of blessing, if we will do good and love our enemies, is, gives us confidence in all our relationships, whether our relationships are with friends, or husbands or wives in the church, in the home, in the workplace or in the community, we can love others as Christ 
has loved us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this beautiful picture that you've given us of, of the church, the bride being uh, married to you, the bridegroom. And thank you that one day you are coming for your bride, the church. And that in the meantime, you've called us to live in marriage relationships and to live in all of our relationships by doing good to one another, by praying for those who persecute us, by not increasing evil and insults, but by doing good and blessing others so that Christ might be witnessed to through us. So help us, Lord, in all our relationships to bear witness to Jesus, that people might see him through us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Martin. Great stuff. Challenging. In response to, to that, Sarah's now going to lead us in a, a, a song before we close.
speech there. So now, as as we close the meeting, I'll, I'll pray in a moment. But I was I was just led to this scripture as I was um, preparing the service uh, this week, um, and it's from Romans twelve verses nine to thirteen. It says this: Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves never lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor leading keep your spiritual server fervor serving the lord be joyful in hope patient in affliction faithful in prayer share with god's people all who are in need practice hospitality So, Father, as we, we go into the week, I just pray that you would show us how to love, show us how to serve, fill us with your spirit once more so that we can be your servants and those servants of our community and our brothers and sisters in you. I just pray that you would pour your spirit out on each one of us today. In Jesus' name, amen.